Let's close in prayer. (laughs) Thank you, Pixar, for making me cry. My name is Mike, and, and it's a, uh, just an honor to be with you this morning. Why don't you grab your notes out of your handout? We're continuing our series on relationships called Crazy Love, and, and today, seriously, I'm all choked up. I'm sorry. Uh, this, uh, I didn't watch the, that clip before this morning just now, and I should have. Uh, <laughs> Um, we're, we're talking about how to love your spouse like crazy. And that's the picture, right? That, that we just saw. The picture that... <laughs> Ooh, Lord, steal my heart right now. Um, that, that we would love our spouse for the whole course of a lifetime. And, and so... Here's what I want to talk about real quick. Let's, uh, if you would, grab your smartphones, grab your cell phones, your texting operati, and let's just do a quick poll real quick. How does your spouse best know that they're loved like crazy by you? So you can see the, um, the options there, quality time, physical affection, acts of service, words of affirmation, or gifts. So go ahead and just give it your best shot right now. Um, this is actually for you to text in and not for your spouse to tell you you what to text in, although that's okay. If, if you don't know, it's, it's okay to get that. So go ahead and text in your answer here, and we'll just see in a few moments uh, where we are over like. I was talking to a beautiful young couple on Tuesday evening. It was at our membership class where actually dozens more of you decided to stop dating your church and take your relationship to the next level, uh, and we're very excited about that. But uh, this young couple has been married for nine months. And so I told them that I was speaking on marriage this weekend and what would be helpful for them as they're taking a look at where they are in their marriage and what could I possibly go after that that would be encouraging to them. And this is what they shared. They said that, you know, both of their parents are divorced. And they said that at this point in their life, they're, I think in their early 30s, they said at this point in their life, they're looking at a lot of their friends and they're seeing that their friends' first marriages are failing. And the question that they had for me is, Mike, could you talk about anything? Could you, could you tackle this issue in such a way that is there hope for our marriage? Is there hope for us to love one another like crazy for the long haul? And the answer is yes, there is hope. And yes, we can go after this topic. And, and it has something to do with showing one another how we love them like crazy. What are our poll results here? Oh, affirmations gaining, but it looks like uh, quality time and affection are at the top in there. Oh, acts of service is gaining. Okay. All right. Good job. All of these are good ideas. It's, it's a good idea to know what language your spouse speaks and then go ahead and speak that language back to them. But I want to take a look today at the sort of vows that we made. When we stood on our wedding day, what were the vows that we made? Were they selfish or selfless vows? Were they God-honoring or were they self-glorifying vows? Uh, were they vows like, you know, I promise to love myself through you. I promise to get my needs met through you. I I promise to have you serve me and love me and prize me because in the end, it's not really you I care about, it's me and getting my needs met. Now, I know none of us would ever say such things like that. But in so many unions and in so many vows, that's the subtext. That's the shadow goal, if you will. 
And what I'd love to do today is I'd like to talk about some vows that are absolutely imperative if we're going to love our spouse like crazy for the long haul. And I'm going to swing for the fence, and you're going to note this, and we're going to swing for the, we're going to go for broke today talking about the fullness of what kind of vows we might make to one another that would actually ensure that we would love our spouse like crazy for a lifetime. And so here it is. I'm just going to blaze through the first three. Vow number one, the vow that you can make is next to Jesus, you're my priority. Next to Jesus, you're the big deal, right? And and not the kids and not my career and not my hobbies and my toys and not football, but you, you're the one that I'm going to prioritize next to my relationship with the Lord. Number two, vow number two, I will pursue you always. I will pursue you always. And actually, we're going to unpack this a little bit more next week. I really do hope you come back next week. The message next week is rated M for mature. We're going to be talking about uh, God's best for our sexuality. And um, we're actually, we're going to unpack some stuff. Not trying to be crass, but honestly and frankly trying to go after what is God's plan? What is his best for sex within the context of marriage? And then vow number three, you are my covenant partner in Christ. You're my covenant partner. And these vows, we make them unselfishly. We make them to our spouse so that we can love our spouse like crazy for a lifetime. And on your wedding day, when you stand before a representative of God, that person will say that uh, you are pronounced husband and wife, that the two have now become one flesh, united. And in the eyes of God, that is the spiritual reality. Look what Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Why don't you circle that word? Into one. We're one. In the Hebrew, that word is echad, and it means united or one. It means all together or completely joined. And as husband and wife, we are one in the eyes of God. And anytime then in our relationship with our spouse, we break that idea of biblical oneness, then the blessing of Jesus ceases to flow into that union. And this is biblical. I put a verse on your outline. It's Malachi chapter 2 verse 14. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you've been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. In other words, God's blessing isn't flowing into your union because you're breaking this vow of covenant partnership. And so the question is, in our marriages, we're either becoming more united or we're becoming more divided. Which is true for you? When you look at your marriage, when you look at your relationship, which way are you going? What's the trajectory of your marital status? See, in marriage, we're either going to complete one another or we're going to compete with one another. God desires for there to be a, a sense of completion in marriage. Satan, of course, wants the competition. Jesus said, thy will be done, and Satan's the one that said, my will be done. Jesus brought glory to God. Satan seeks to glorify self. And we know that a house divided against itself will fall. So in a covenant relationship, what God desires is for there to be unity in the house. What Satan wants is division. 
And you know what division is. Division is simply two visions that compete against one another. Okay, What God wants is one vision, one plan, one purpose, and one flesh. And so the challenge is that we would guard ourselves, that we would guard our hearts and our marriages against division. For example, if your kids are playing you off of the other, right? They, they, they ask mom first, then they ask dad, and then they pit those opinions against one another. You have to guard against that. You can't allow for that division. You have to stand united. I, I, just going practical for a moment, two checking accounts. It's a recipe for division. Uh, this is mine, that is yours. Prenuptial agreements, keeping parts of your life and parts of your home and your marriage just to yourself and owning it as your right. And no, this isn't yours, this is mine. Friends, any of that, Any of that covenant that is not submitted into a partnership has the potential to bring division. And it's where two visions exist as opposed to one. Instead, here's God's plan. In Ephesians chapter 533, the apostle Paul's writing, he says, So I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And I would just tell you, when it is all submitted to God, When it's all just released and offered up to him, there is an incredible oneness that God has the ability to bring more life and more joy, more peace and more grace. And that's what I want for your relationships, Overlake. Certainly what I desire for mine. And so this morning, I'm very, very excited. I have invited a couple of experts in the field. Dear friends of mine, actually a new friendship that God is stirring up in my life. And, and I'm excited to introduce to you Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott. This is a husband and wife team who share a passion for helping others build healthy relationships. They founded the Center for Relationship Development at Seattle Pacific University. The Parrots are New York Times bestselling authors. They've sold over 2 million books combined and um, including Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. They've appeared on a lot of television programs, including Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, The View with Barbara Walters, NBC Nightly News, and Oprah. And friends, they are here to share with you this morning. So could you please give them a warm Overlake welcome, Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott. Great to see you. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good. What an honor to get to be with you this morning. We have never been parachuted into a sermon before, and so this is a first for us to drop right here into the middle. And uh, your pastor said, do something practical for us on crazy love. And so uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about something very practical, right? Communication. Communication. At the heart of making this happen, making this covenant relationship satisfying. Yeah, because the truth is love can be crazy good or it can be crazy bad. And so (laughs) many times we get our wires crossed when it comes to communication. So let's just do this real quick. Let's start with the fundamentals of communication, some of the basics, um, just to kind of uh, help us along life's road. In fact, just to make sure you have the right attitude on this Sunday morning as we talk a little bit about this, just turn to somebody near you and just say these words, you really need this. You feel better, don't you? (laughs) 
Whenever I think about the fundamentals of anything, I think about Vince Lombardi, that famous coach. And you all remember what he did at halftime when his team wasn't doing so well. He'd come in, he'd hold a football up, and what would he say? Men, this is a football. Well, no, duh, right? They give him their life to the game, but uh, it was his way of saying, let's get back to the basics, right? Let's not mess around. Let's really focus on the fundamentals, know what we need to do out there. And uh, so in a very real sense, we kind of want to say, hey, folks, this is communication. And you're going to want to say, no, duh. By the way, I asked uh, Vince Lombardi Jr., he's an attorney here in Seattle, had lunch with him a while back, and I I asked him, I said, hey, is that true that your dad really held up a football and did that? Is that kind of more of an apocryphal story? He said, no, absolutely the truth. He said, one time as a kid, he said, I remember being in the locker room and dad held the football up, said, men, this is a football. And he said, one of the linebackers in the back row said, slow down, coach, slow down. So... uh, So we're going to slow way down this morning and say this is a communication, and I'm going to give you two skills for instant communication. They're so basic. They're so fundamental. You're going to want to say, well, no, duh. So just get it out of your system right now. One, two, three, say it. No, duh. (laughs) Skill number one is to clarify content. Clarify content. Well, no, duh. You've heard that before. Pretty basic. Pretty basic, but it's a good reminder because we so often read between the lines, we right. make assumptions, we jump to conclusions. Yeah, I mean, it happens for us in daily life all the time, especially when you're moving at the speed of life and things are really speeding up. We had a moment not long ago, we were scheduled to do some teaching on a Wednesday night, and so... Um, you know, we were gathered around the family dinner table and um, all of a sudden realized we're running late. So I ran upstairs thinking, man, I don't have anything, you know, to wear. What I should have done laundry. Les is gathering up the paperwork. Finally, I, you know, threw something together. And I know as a woman, I need his approval. Is this going to work? So I go down. I'm standing in front of his desk and he's all distracted with the content. And I say, hey, you know, what do you think? How do I look? Finally, he kind of looks up at me and, you know, just gives me a quick distracted look. And he goes, fine with me. So what do you guys think I did? Yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking that's not good. You know, I have to teach. And so I ran back upstairs and we're running late, but I'm trying to find something. So finally he's hollering and I run down the steps and, and he's like, where have you been? We're running late. And why did you change clothes? You know, and I said, I changed because you didn't like what I had on. He said, I told you it was fine with me. You know, I said, well, what I heard was, well, you know, it's fine with me. It's your reputation. You know, <laughs> want to go out in public. That's what it sounded like to me. And he's like, no, that's not at all what I meant. But for me, totally the message I got, because I didn't clarify. And it goes both ways. And it does, you know the feeling, right? We read between right. the lines. We make assumptions. We jump to conclusion. Do you know that for the words that we use in the English language, we have on average 3.5 different meanings per word? Right? So there's lots of room for misunderstanding, right? In fact, even to underscore this, I want to put something up on the screen here in just a second to help you decipher it. And there's no right or wrong answer, but just take a second and we're going to read this together. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen and just read this phrase together, right? One, two, three, love. And how many said love is now here? All right? And how many said love is nowhere? All right? (laughs) Crazy, right? Crazy. Now, I also know there's a couple freaks in the audience that said, love, I snow here. <laughs> so, you know who you are. Yeah. So, 
so we need to clarify content. Silly illustration, but the truth is we really do. So that's one yeah. fundamental. Couples, this is communication, right? right? But it's but, not the only fundamental. Right. In fact, there's another thing that I think is even uh, just maybe not quite as basic and even more profound. Right, and that is to reflect feeling, right? right? Not just to clarify content, but to reflect mm-hmm. feeling. And this is skill number two. This is one that, you know, you've heard it before, but man, this is challenging mm-hmm. to, to, to know how to do this in a way because we think we do it better than we do, right? Absolutely. And, and I can tell you this, that uh, just kind of looking out at this audience, um, oh, roughly 50% of you do this better than the other 50%. <laughs> do you know who you are, Right. It's not a sexist thing. We just know this from research. Women have a larger feeling vocabulary. Right. And so when it comes to reflecting feelings, and, and by the way, it's kind of like a river of emotions. Yeah, when we every do this, right? single time you're in a conversation with your spouse, you're not just exchanging content, but there are feelings that are beneath the surface there. And so like the skilled river. communicator kind of dips down like they're panning right. for gold and lifts out that little golden nugget of an emotion and go, hey, here, is this it? Is this how you feel? Yeah. That's it. You're the first person all day that really understands. Maybe the first person in my entire life that really gets it, right? Well, like I said, women have more feeling words in their vocabulary. Excuse me, but help me. Yeah, more feelings than men do. And... This is why it is amazing news for men that you don't have to be perfect at this. Yeah, this is the good news. You don't have to be perfect because you can be dead wrong and this will still succeed when you reflect feelings for each other as long as you are. Any ideas? As long as you're genuine. Right. As long as you're genuine, you're really trying from the heart. As long as it's, it's coming from a place where you really do want to understand. Because I can say to Leslie, wow, it sounds like you're really upset about this. You know what I think? I, I think I'm kind of sad about this. All right, so she's going to clarify, and I'm going to say, yeah, that's what I meant. Sad. Yeah, and yeah. if he gets it wrong, I'm not shutting him down because I'm thinking he's with me, and he wants to get it, so I'm going to reel him in. You know, it doesn't shut me down at all. So, but you've got to be genuine right. to do this. I think it was George Burns that told a group of acting students at UCLA, once you can fake genuineness, you've got it made, right? This comes from the heart. You can't yeah. fake it. Either you're, you're there, and we all have this built-in radar detector to, you know, to, to detect whether or not somebody is really with us or not. How do you know when this person you're talking to is genuine? How do you know? How's it come through? Do they say, well, I'm really genuine right now? No. What do they do? Comes through in, in the body language, right? The eye contact. Do you know that even our pupils dilate when we're genuinely interested in somebody? Now, we don't go around and look in each other's eyes to see how we're doing, but, but we pick up on these subtle things, right? And, and so when you can do these two things, clarify content and reflect feelings from a genuine heart, wow. you're well on your way to a pretty good conversation. You're well on your way to loving your spouse like crazy. These are the tools to do that, right? In fact, let, let me demonstrate here sure. just for a minute because the, the goal here is, like I said, genuineness. Why don't you just talk about anything in the world you want to? I want you to focus on how I clarify content, reflect feelings, all right? So whatever is on your mind. Okay. Well, last night, John went to another turning 13 birthday parties at that age, and they did the big Bob's corn maze thing, and they didn't get home till like 1130. I was a little worried because there'd been the news story about the 911 call for the couple that got lost in the corn maze, so I could just picture my 13-year-old out there. And so, I don't know, as he's turning 13, I've just been trying to give give him more freedom, but... there's some anxiety about it. And, There's yeah, a little right. anxiety. Okay, let's stop yeah. this right here. What's wrong with this picture? 
some of you guys are like, nothing, that was good, man. It's really nice. He's a professional, right? Right? Either you're genuine or you're not. That means you've got to be focused, tuned in to that person, right? right? If you want these two skills to work. Yeah, it doesn't matter how accurately he might get the anxiety thing. It doesn't help me, you know, because he wasn't there. You right. weren't authentic. Right. So yeah. this is communication. Now, there's another fundamental. You're going to want to write this one down because you've never heard it before. But here it is. Men and women are different. I am sorry to break it to you, right? Men and women are different. In fact, we don't even have the same goals for conversation. Very true. Let me ask the women in here. Women, what is the number one goal that men have? I just want women to answer. What's the number one goal that men have in conversation, women? To get it over with? <laughs> Sounds okay. reasonable to me. You don't have any feelings about that either, do you? <laughs> All right. Anything else? Yeah, it's what researchers call report talk. Yep. Report talk. And uh, it just simply means that men like to be in the know. We like to get the report, right? I'll, I'll literally sometimes come home at the end of the day and say, hey, give me the report. Bring me up to speed. Give me the information. I need to function in this home tonight, right? What's the report? That's right. Usually the first item is what's for dinner. What's for dinner? That's yep. part of the report, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's very different when women talk. In fact, men, let me ask you, what would you say women have as their number one goal in a conversation? We don't know. It's just one honest guy up here. We That's don't, why you're we, don't here. we have no idea. <laughs> Any men? Good to take a stab at it. Okay. Oh, details. You're getting there. For women, it's not at all about the report. It's about rapport. Rapport. It's all relational. The whole purpose of a conversation for a woman is just to open a window for connection. I mean, that's the reason we're talking. We don't care very much about the content. We want to build the bond with the person we're talking to. I mean, and that's why if you notice, like, you know, you guys have great church coffee, by the way. I was, I was saying I loved it. You go out there after a worship service and you run into your women friends. Do you notice this? When women talk, they kind of lean in and hold hands sometimes. And like they're connecting, they're bonding. I mean, physically, they're giving eye contact. And like within 30 seconds, when women connect, they're as deep as possible. I mean, they're going to go oceans deep as quickly as possible. They want to maximize the bonding, you know? So, and, and you, by the way, you don't see a lot of guys in the church for you leaning in, holding hands, going, hey, how about that game? Wasn't that something, you know? <laughs> Just don't see it. No, and it's sad, isn't it, women? Because you can't, you can't bond, you know? Yeah, we're weeping over it. <laughs> One night I was tucking our guys into bed, and we've been going through the Winnie the Pooh book, which those are such fun characters and stories. But that particular night, something about the dialogue just leapt off the page and right into my soul. I could not believe it. It just seemed to capture in a profound way for me what communication was all about. And so I got super excited, you know, and, and after we said our prayers and I kissed the boys goodnight, I grabbed the book and I ran into Les's study where he was now, this is his productivity time because the kids are asleep. You know, he's focused on them. Now he's going to get tasks done. And I just bounded in, totally interrupted him. Like, I just got this amazing insight about women and communication. And he's like, really? What's it from? And I said, well, the Winnie the Pooh book the boys and I were just reading. He goes, okay. And I said, no, Piglet and Pooh are talking. And he goes, all right. <laughs> and, and Piglet says, Pooh? And he says, what, Piglet? And he says, oh, nothing. I just wanted to be sure of you. Come on. <laughs> I guarantee you no guy in here just went, <laughs> right? 
I know I didn't when you said that to me because Leslie shared that with me. Like that little snippet of conversation was somehow going to like part the clouds for me and I was going to understand women at a whole new level and I just didn't get it. And I don't know what I said, but I I definitely did not get it. He said, whatever, (laughs) just kind of spun back around his work. But for me, I mean, that was it. It just revealed the heart of it. I just want to be sure of you, the connection, the relationship. That's what it's all about. I do remember this because (laughs) like a few days later, we were at our our church and and I saw some of my buddies that I hadn't seen for a while. In fact, I saw Merle, who's a detective and... And I went up to Merle and I said, Merle, how's it going, brother? I haven't seen you forever. He goes, oh, Les, I've been so busy. And he got out his day timer and he starts going through stuff. And he said, I had this thing going on over here at this high school. And I'm going to meet with the mayor on this Crime Stoppers thing. We've got this other thing going on down here in the city and blah, blah, blah. He said, what about you? I got out my little iPhone and I said, well, I got this lecture I'm going to give at the university. I got this writing deadline. I got this speaking engagement. And this other thing's happening over here. And then we both closed the books, as it were, slapped each other on the back, walked away. So Leslie happened to observe this exchange that Merle and I had, and as Merle, as Leslie and I were walking out the, to our car in the church parking lot, I turned to Leslie and I said, man, it was good to see Merle. <laughs> she said, well, technically, I'm not sure you saw Merle. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you want me to do? go up to him and say, Merle? And he'd say, yes, Les. And I'd say, oh, nothing. just want to be sure of you, right? (laughs) He'd slap me across the chops if I said that to him, right? Men and women are different, right? Very different. And when it comes to communication, those differences are highlighted even more when what we need to talk about is something we're concerned about, a problem. Problem solving is huge. 25% of our conversations in marriage are devoted to solving problems together. And and so uh, we also come at this very differently. differently. And women, you know this. It's almost, you know, hackneyed to even say it. You bring a problem home to your man, and what does he want to do with your problem? He wants to... Fix your problem. And guys, why do we want to do that? To get it over with. I've got a real smart group right down here in the front. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Your pastor said they're single. Uh. I love it. I love it. Try e-harmony. Well, um, you know, the, the, uh, the truth is... Guys, we want to do, and mostly I want the women to understand this, we want to solve your problem when you put a problem in front of us because, first of all, that's how God made us. We are hardwired to do that. You put a problem in front of a guy, and you are measuring his brain waves, there's certain areas of his brain that immediately light up. That doesn't happen for, certain, for, for women. Now, it doesn't mean your brain's not... This isn't good. Um, <laughs> Very different areas Very of our different. brain. Very different. Better, up. maybe better yes. areas. Yes, that's what I was thinking. And uh, <laughs> good night. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it really is. It's something. It's a compulsion. We can't stop. Mm-hmm. And so you pr- bring a problem to us. We're giving you the very best thing we know how to give. Because when we have a problem, we're looking for a solution. In fact, we've probably tried to solve it on our own, and the only reason we're talking about it is because we need now some input with, mm-hmm. to, to solve the problem, but right. not so But if women. you bring a problem home to me, I don't try to solve if it. If I bring a problem home to Leslie, what does she do? Does she want to fix my problem? What does she want to do with my problem? Yeah, she wants to explore my problem, right? She wants to look at the many mm-hmm. facets of my problem. 
She wants to talk about how my problem was kind of like a problem that she once had, only it was different. In fact, her girlfriend had that problem, which is kind of interesting because when she had that problem, right? And we're going to look at the many facets of that. All the bunny trails. Yes. All the all fluff. All the fluff, yeah. right? And, and guys don't necessarily want, we like the report. No, right? in fact, And when you, it comes to solving the problem, we want to get it fixed so we can move on. And recently you did bring a problem home and I, I tried I to reflect. Leslie, <laughs> I know. Leslie and I are big into this thing we call marriage mentoring, where you take a seasoned, experienced couple, link them with a less experienced couple in the church. Great things happen when you do that. And I thought, why not take that same model at Seattle Pacific, where we go to school, and, not go to school, where we teach people that go to school. And, uh, and I thought, why not have seniors mentor freshmen? And uh, so I worked on this kind of little model for, I don't know, a month and a half and put this thing together for the student life committee I was on at the time. And Finally brought it into them and uh, on the appointed day, and they said, thanks, but no thanks. And I came home from the, uh, the, the meeting that day, and Leslie was there the afternoon. She said, uh, hey, how'd the meeting go? Did they like your idea? I said, no, they didn't like it. She said, they didn't? She said, you worked so hard on that. I said, I know, but they didn't like it. She said, what about so-and-so? Wasn't he supportive? I said, no, he was like a ghost in the meeting. She said, I can't believe that. And then she said, I can't imagine how you must feel. And then she said, you must feel devastated. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I do. (laughs) I didn't know my problem was so big until we started talking about it, right? (laughs) See, I love to give that gift because as a woman, what I love (laughs) when I have a problem is for it to be validated. Women, do you feel that way too? I mean, you know, I want to. I want to know he gets how huge that is, and something amazing happens to me as soon as I un- know he understands it's big on the horizon of my life. But your tendency, if it's not to fix it, you do another thing, which is very reflexive, and she'll just sort of minimize it. Right. You know, oh, you know, that's no big deal. You know, shouldn't even worry about that. That's nothing, and and it just it's it's not my emotional draw. Yeah, you know? because for a woman, right. a man likes to minimize the problem, and the woman likes likes to, what would you say? Well, we like to validate, validate how big it. it is. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say exaggerate it. But, it. <laughs> um, but either way, it works. And uh, yeah. so, so bottom line, men and women are different. Right. Now, I know that some of you are visual learners, mm-hmm. so we brought this for you as well. So you can take a look at that. So, Pastor, come on up and get us out of this. I want to tell you something. We brought a couple of resources. Actually, we just brought one resource for you. But the reason, I know the, very, the only reason that we're standing up here on this stage is because we wrote this book called Crazy Good Sex. And so we went to lunch a little while back, and he said, man, I read that book, and that was kind of the catalyst, I guess, for kind of this series and so forth in some ways. And so I was just going to tell you this book, Crazy Good Sex, when I wrote this, um, I, I saw it for the very first time in Phoenix, Arizona. Leslie and I were speaking at a marriage thing, and, and uh, my mom, who was uh, 87 at the time, um, was standing there living in Phoenix, and they brought a case. Of, hey, Dr. Parrott, your book's out here, and they brought it out. Now, normally I tell my mom about the books that I'm writing, <laughs> but I somehow didn't tell her about this one. And uh, so they pull it out, and uh, my mom looked at it, and she went, Oh, Leslie. And then, no, 87 years old. This is how sharp she is. She turned inside. She just said, 
tell me you didn't, tell me you didn't dedicate this book to me, right? <laughs> Which I didn't, so. Uh, well, we didn't bring that book for you, but if you want it, you can go to our website at lessonlessly.com. But what we did do is bring a little book. This is, I wanted to do kind of something special. This book just came out, and it's a, a one-year devotional called the One Year Love Talk Devotional for Couples. And uh, if you want to just, it's amazing what happens when you just devote three minutes out of your day, in the morning, the afternoon, the evening, sometime together, just to look into God's Word and pull a little pearl out there that can make a difference in your life. So we'll be at the book table afterwards to talk about people, too. Thanks hey, so much. Can we thank them? Thank you so much, Les and Leslie. Appreciate you. Thanks. Thank you, Leslie. Oh my gosh, what an amazing, uh, just an honor to have them come, but also just so fun uh, to hear that. And so obviously communication is going to be key. It's going to be foundational in our vows, in uh, loving our spouse like crazy for a lifetime. What I want to do is I want to go after taking this idea of communicating well, and I, I want to take it into this idea of covenant partnership. So if you're filling in the blanks to love your spouse like crazy uh, in this covenant partnership, the first key is to recognize that God has a plan for biblical leadership. <coughs> Excuse me. He has a plan for biblical leadership. In other words, um, I'm going to argue that God's plan is that there are two leaders in a covenant partnership that lead in the same direction. That I'm going to argue that marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. It's a 100%, 100% proposition. It's going to take all of us invested in moving in the same direction. And the reason why I'm going to say that there are two leaders in a covenant relationship is because in Genesis chapter 1, going all the way back to the very beginning, when Adam and Eve were on the earth, God, he, he said, uh, the first commandment was also a blessing. Uh, they were to be fruitful and multiply, and they were to subdue the entire earth. In other words, they were to reign and reproduce. And it was not that the men were to reign and the women were to reproduce, but that together, in a covenant partnership, they were to reign and to reproduce. They were to, um, you know, be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth. And in fact, that's the, the one commandment that humans have actually followed through on, right? But I want you to understand this, that in my marriage relationship, Jody and I are both leaders in a covenant partnership. We're both type A, we're both uh, hardwired to run, we're both strategic, we're both proactive in work and ministry and, and home life, and God in his goodness has designed marriage to be like this, both partners rocking and rolling in the same direction. Now, what I want to do is I want to read to you, and, and let's analyze for a moment, an incredibly difficult passage. And I'm going to say, so much pain has been birthed from this passage in Scripture because we don't understand it appropriately. It's been misapplied and misused. So, here it goes. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Oh no, he didn't, right? Is that really what it says? Go ahead, read it again. That's what it says, right? Now, I just want to be clear that misunderstanding of this passage has caused incredible pain throughout history. 
This idea that the husband is the head. Uh, Mike just said there are two leaders in a covenant partnership, but the, the, the recognition of, is this idea of headship. And many different ways that it's been translated through the years. Some translate it as uh, head as in source, as in sort of the, the headwaters of the Mississippi, you know, the source of it. Um, uh, some people translate it, it, it obviously has something to do with authority. And so uh, the misunderstanding of this is the idea of dominance or control. How I would view this is that, yes, there's a certain amount of responsibility that God requires of a husband in terms of the context of his wife, his family, his home, etc. This is the concept of headship. And if Jody and I were rocking and rolling in the same direction, if at some point there's an impasse, then God, he really does have an expectation that the husband would take the lead and hit his knees. That the husband would take the lead and to seek God's face over how to proceed with humility through that impasse. And, and I just want to say, that is the challenge that husbands have. Now here's the kickers. Husbands are called by God to lead as Christ led the church. In other words, sacrificially, selflessly, for the very best for his wife and for his family. Look what it says in Ephesians 5.25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. You know what, men? This means that often you're going to have to lead against your preferences. You're going to have to lead against your wiring. You're called by God to lead and proceed with humility. And you're going to pray for a vision of what is best for kids, for family, for home, for wife, and for God's kingdom. And you're going to work with her as you proceed into building the vision that God's giving both of you. And so there's this idea of headship and, and yes, you know, decision making, maybe as, as uh, you know, in terms of an impasse, that kind of thing. But let me be honest with you. I've been married for 15 years. I know many of you have been married for longer than that, and you might have a different story, but I, I would tell you that in 15 years, that if there ever has been a season of impasse, right, in terms of major decision-making, it's amazing to me, as both Jody and I seek the face of God, that God actually moves us in the same direction, that he actually leads us to where we make the same decision. In fact, I've shared this story with you before. When it came uh, time for us to leave our, uh, down in Southern California, the ministry that we were at, and to come up here to serve at Overlake Christian Church, God actually prompted Jody's heart about a year before he spoke to mine. And so she just, she knew that this was something that God was stirring, but she was patient and she waited on me and she prayed for me and, and God had actually spoken to her before he spoke to me. So it's amazing to see this. Why would God move both uh, parties in this covenant partnership in the same direction? It's because he desires unity in our marriages. He desires us to flourish together and to move together in unity. And so this is the idea of headship now. I want to tell you that headship has been misunderstood for so many people. It's caused so many to stumble. But when you view it in eyes of love and equality and unity that God offers it, then it, it suddenly starts to be understood uh, with a little bit more of God's graceful idea. 
In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11.3, he gives us, uh, Paul gives us rather three insights into what headship can be like. He says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Would you circle that last phrase? The head of Christ is God. This is going to unpack the concept of headship for us. Now, we recognize this idea of God being the head of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, friends, if, if you study theology at all, you know that Jesus Christ, in other words, God the Father and God the Son are co-equals. They're co-equals. They have eternally existed from the beginning of time together in this partnership and relationship of love. They're, they're co-equals. And so uh, suddenly headship now doesn't mean one higher than the other. You've got to view it in terms of, okay, what does this mean? Well, Jesus himself gives us three insights. And they're not on your notes. You're going to have to write these down on the margin. The first insight into headship that Jesus gives us is he says, I and the Father are one. This is the insight into identity. I and the Father are one. He's connecting himself to God the Father. Friends, we already talked about this, that in a marriage relationship, the husband and the wife are one, united into one. So the first element of this headship idea is the idea of identity together. Okay, there's unity of identity. The second element, the Lord Jesus on another occasion, he says in the King James Version, Uh, my father worketh and I work. And what this indicates is the unity of cooperation. That together they are working together for the same goals, for the same glory, for the same kingdom. Right? And so in a marriage we see that as well. That there would be unity of cooperation. And then the third element that Jesus says is he says of his father in John 8, 49, I always honor my father... And then in five verses later, he says, it is the Father who honors me. So here's what we see as the third element of this idea of headship, is that there is a a, a unity of honoring one another. Unity of identity, unity of cooperation, and unity of honor. And friends, that's what biblical leadership is. That's not onerous. You're talking, wait, headship means unity of identity and unity of honor? And unity of cooperation, that's not a burden. That's called loving one another in a covenant relationship. It's called loving your spouse like crazy for a lifetime. And it brings us to the next villain here. The second key is that submission is to be mutual. Mutual submission to one another. And look what the scripture says in Ephesians 5.21. Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're to submit to one another. I'm to submit to Jody. She's to submit to me out of reverence, not only for our relationship, not only for the other person because I care about her, but out of reverence for Christ. This is a part of my relationship with the Lord. It's an expression of how I love God that I would be submissive in my relationship, my covenant partnership with my wife. So I I would just tell you that Satan really does have an agenda in this, and, and we don't have to talk about this too much. But, but what Satan wants to do with this idea of biblical leadership is he wants to talk about leadership and push it to dominance. And right now, in this room, so many of you that have a problem with this idea of headship, you have a problem with it because you've seen it abused in a dominant form. And you're just reacting against it. 
And I'm sorry, that, that's what Satan wants to do. Destroy biblical leadership by pushing to dominance. You know what Satan wants to do with submission? He wants to push it toward passivity. See, Satan wants to destroy this whole thing. He hates our marriages. He hates the, the covenant partnership that we would have. And so he comes against it. And so leadership, he wants to distort into dominance. Submission, he wants to distort it into passivity. And I just want to tell you that the dominant spirit can be abusive. It can suck the life out of a relationship. It can be legalistic and proud. And at its very core, it is insecurity. And same thing with the passivity spirit. It is afraid to confront afraid to make a decision, afraid to step up into responsibility, afraid to give 100% to a relationship, and at its core, it's insecurity as well. Both, by the way, are a form of control. So here's the bottom line. If the problem is insecurity at its core, the solution is security in Jesus Christ. See, security in who we are in him. Security in the fact that he loves us so much. And his plan for our relationship is so good. And if we will submit to him, and if we'll to love one another out of reverence for him, be unified in our identity, be unified in, in uh, partnership, cooperation with one another, be unified in honoring one another, then all kinds of good things can flourish and we allow him to identify and define our relationship. Now, I want to tell you, as I was writing my notes for today's message, this is just so kind of crazy. I, I, I type in all, all my stuff, and I even type in the Bible verses. So occasionally, if you see a, a Bible verse that has a misspelling, that's my bad. I, I type up my notes every week. And, and as I was typing up the notes for, um, I wrote the word united, that God wants us united in marriage. And as I typed in the word united, I looked at it, read my paragraph later, and I had written the word untied. Now think about that for a moment. Talking about marriage, and I want to talk about how in marriage, in, in this covenant partnership, we're united. And instead, I wrote the word untied, which in this context has the exact polar opposite meaning. And the difference between those two words, it's only one letter out of place. It's the I. And when you get the I out of place in marriage, it's going to come untied. And so I would just encourage you this morning. I'm going to tell you four things that they're a part of this vow that we make to our spouse. I want to be in covenant relationship with you. I want to love you like crazy for the rest of my life. Here are four elements of this vow. Number one, I will listen. The parents talked about this with such eloquence and so much fun. I will listen to you. I'll really care for you. I will be proactive in how I, I sense your needs. I, I want to listen to who you are and where you are. Number two, I will trust. I will trust. You know, the, the opposite of this point is I will doubt. And instead of doubting your spouse, give them the benefit of the doubt. Right? You will trust them. You need to commit to that. Number three, I will repent. When I do something wrong, I'll apologize. I will own it. I will repent before you. And this will be a posture of my love for you. Number four, I will submit. I will submit. Well, what about my rights, Mike? What about my rights as a husband? What about my rights as a, as a wife? Here's the, the bottom line. In a covenant relationship before Jesus Christ, when you said I do, 
you, you, you just laid, you just set it aside. I don't have any rights. It's not about me anymore, it's about we. Not about my stuff, my life, my career, my goals, my, 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 no, it's about our. And so together we're gonna go after this thing with great mutuality and great humility and great affection for one another. In fact, I wanna tell you that God wants marriage to complete and Satan wants it to compete. But this vow says that you're my covenant partner in Jesus Christ. And together, we can serve the Lord Jesus. Together, we can glorify the Lord Jesus far better than we ever could on our own. And that's why I put this last verse on your outline. It's from Psalm 34, verse 3. It says, come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. What a great verse for marriage. You're my covenant partner. So together, let's glorify his name together. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and and we'll pray. And in this moment, Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would help us to love our spouse like crazy. That you would help us to understand the framework for biblical leadership, the framework for mutual submission, the framework for this vow of covenant partnership in you for the context of our whole lifetime. Now, Lord Jesus, as I, as I ask this prayer, I'm praying this specifically for those who are in a marriage relationship, for those who are in an engaged relationship and contemplating what marriage might look like. But Jesus, I know that in a room this size, there are many who have already walked a road of marriage and maybe divorce, or maybe there's an incredible pain in that context. I mean, I know that there are many who are single and still wondering if this is a part of your plan for their life. And so, Lord, wherever we are, we invite you now to come and to fill our brokenness, that you would bring your healing, that you would speak your peace and your love, that you would carry us and cover us and allow us to be the people who have an identity in you first, who know who we are in you first, and then allow us to give our lives away in love for another person. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.